Good morning. In our house, we're spoiled for choice. Within a kilometre of where we live, you can go to McDonald's, the pie shed, Domino's Pizza, Dairy Bell Ice Cream, Red Rooster. How many of those do you think I've been to? No, not all. No, no. <laughs> when I had an operation um, about 18 months ago, I had a fast for 24 hours, then go to hospital, and uh, waited most of the day, and about half past three in the afternoon, got wheeled to the theatre doors and got bumped. And uh, I was in the Epworth at Box Hill. They uh, transported me from the Epworth at Box Hill across the road to Box Hill Hospital, a distance of, I don't know, 100 metres. And they kept me there until about half past one, two o'clock in the morning. And I was hungry. What would you do if you've gone without food for nearly 48 hours? Well, actually, I said to Catherine on the way home, we're going to go to McDonald's and we're going to buy a packet of small chips. And we did. And got home about half past two in the morning. So how many times a day do you eat? What's your daily food intake? I was only going to ask folk who eat five times a day to sit over on this side and those who don't sit over somewhere else, but decided that wouldn't be very good. There was a national church survey done of Bible reading habits of Christians. 31% of Christians read the Bible about once a week, and that's on your handout here today. 5% read it weekly. 27% only occasionally, 20% hardly ever, 70% never read it at all. That means 64% of people at Kendrick Gardens Community Church may read the Bible less than once a week. I wonder if you fall into that category. Now that's amazing, isn't it? That our intake of Bible food is so, so meagre. I don't know what happens when in your home in terms of pillow talk. But Lady Macquarie, the wife of the Governor um, Macquarie, when the lights were out, started to talk to her husband. She was concerned about the state of the colony in New South Wales and the evils that were being perpetuated and so on. So she had a conversation with her husband about the Bible. She said, listen dear, if we're going to change this society, these folk have been chosen by the best judges in England, in Ireland, in Wales and Scotland to come and live in Australia. They're going to need the Bible. So today is Bible Celebration Day around Australia. There's a service being live streamed from St Paul's in Sydney to celebrate the fact that the Bible Society next on the 7th of March, my birthday, will be 200 years old. That's the oldest living continuous business in Australia, 200 years. And on the back of this latest edition of Eternity magazine, you'll find the story about Lady Macquarie and her pillow talk.
So what do you talk about on your pillow? Pretty interesting. <laughs> so what's your diet in terms of the Bible? Now at the end of our passage today, the disciples will say, Lord, there is no one else that we can go to. Your words give eternal life. Now if that's true, how come we don't really worry about it? It's not part of our daily intake. It's not part of our diet. So let's read from John 6. Uh, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountain and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. So he went across to the Jordanian side of the Sea of Galilee and some of those hills there go up to 4,000 feet and Jesus sits down and begins to talk and it's Passover time. Passover time means a celebration of Christ being the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. So that's the setting. It's Passover time And Jesus is the lamb who's going to give his life for the sheep. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I wonder if you're like a sheep without a shepherd. I grew up part of my life on a sheep farm. If you get one sheep on its own and try and round it up with a dog, it's not that easy. But Jesus perceived the crowd as being those scattered all over the place and no direction, no shepherd, no one who cared for them, no one who took their interest. But notice what it says. When he saw the crowd, Jesus had compassion. Now that means today when Jesus sees you, how do you think he feels? Do you think he even cares or even notices you? Now Peter who was there as part of this crowd wrote later, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. Now you mightn't mean much to your mum and dad or your uncles or your brothers or sisters or whoever, but you matter to God. Philip's translation says you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties on him for you are his personal concern. God cares for you. He cares about you. And this incident shows that. When Jesus comes to Jerusalem for the last time just before the cross and he's looking at the city and he is crying. He's broken hearted. <coughs> Why? Because they would not listen to him. He had tried, but they had rejected. Today, you matter to Jesus. Now, there's a few contestants in this My Kitchen Rules. And the first one's Philip. Jesus turns to him and says, Now, Philip, 
prepare an alfresco sit-down meal for 10,000-plus people. That sounds easy, doesn't it? Now, why did Jesus pick on Philip? Well, his hometown, Bethsaida, was just down the road. So he knew where Baker's Delight was. He knew where the supermarket was. If anyone knew where to get bread, Philip should know, shouldn't he? But Jesus is testing him. But he also says, don't waste your money on things that are going to perish. No perishable ingredients, Philip. Your time starts now. Now you imagine if you're Philip. Interesting. So he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than eight months' wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite to eat. Now if you're Philip and you're responding, I wonder what you would say. I think you'd like to say to Jesus, yeah, right. That'll cost eight months' wages. And then we'd only have enough for everyone to have one bite. Now, how much is eight months' wages, Trevor, in Australia? Gross. (laughs) I won't ask you for a real estate or a lawyer. (laughs) But eight months' wages... Now, if you work at McDonald's and you get a few dollars a week, you imagine for eight months, all of that's going to go towards buying food for these folk. And that's all that Philip can think about. This is impossible. He imagined that Jesus means literal bread. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about that at all. But Philip doesn't get it, and the other Gospels say this is the only miracle that's repeated in all four Gospels, say that the disciples were just hardened heart. They just could not understand Jesus. And maybe you're like that too. Well, someone comes to the rescue, Andrew. And he speaks up, trying to get Philip out of a jam, I guess. Well, there's a boy here with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go amongst so many? So it's still the same issue. Andrew is stumped by this. He said, well, okay, we've got a wee bit here. Barley loaves are the smallest and cheapest sort of bread you could make. So Jesus said, well, let the people sit down on the green grass. There were 5,000 plus women and kids. Now that's a lot of people. It must be springtime because the grass is green. We know this is an eyewitness account. If this was made up, you and I would fill in some of the gaps in the story. But this is a true story, it's a real story, it's a true incident in the life of Jesus and the disciples. But what they didn't get, and they should because they know their Bible. Jesus had quoted the Bible and saying, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now... Perhaps when I was coming home from hospital, I shouldn't have gone to McDonald's at all. I should have said to Catherine, why don't we have a Bible reading? Because that would have been more satisfying and more nourishing than small chips from McDonald's. Now, I'm not sure if you understand what the Bible is. 
Now, they're not just words like on a newspaper like this. But the Bible talks about itself as being living, dynamic, being real food. (coughs) Now, Peter makes a comment about this. He talks about those who become Christians. He said, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. The word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. You see, the Bible's not just an ordinary book. It's living. It's alive. It talks to us. It feeds us, sustains us, encourages us, rebukes us. And Peter says, this is the instrument through which you become a Christian. It's alive. And that's how they became believers. Well, notice what Jesus does. He took the loaves and gave thanks. Twice it's said in this passage that he gives thanks. Why do we say grace for our meal? It's an acknowledgement that what we have to eat comes from the hand of God. Jesus gave thanks. And this idea is repeated in the epistles that Paul says we're to give thanks for whatever is put before us without asking questions. You see, there's no taboo diet for the Christian. The Lord Jesus looked at food, it says in Mark 7, and he declared all foods clean. There's no such thing as a special Christian holy diet. God sanctifies all food. We're not under the Jewish law. So it doesn't matter if you want mushrooms or fish. They're all okay according to God. So Jesus carries on. (coughs) I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw the sign I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures. To eternal life. Now, why are you following Jesus? Why are you even here? What do you expect to gain from being part of a Christian community? Do you imagine that by following Jesus, by being here, that somehow or other life will be better? That you're going to make more money? You're going to live longer? You're not going to get sick like some people. You're going to find the best girl or guy to marry. You're going to have the best behaved kids in the world. Because you're following Jesus. Well, if that's why you're following him, forget it. It doesn't work that way. So the question is, why are you looking for Jesus? What attracts you? Now, some preachers will tell you, if you follow Jesus... That'll sort out your life. It will be better for you. They don't quote the words that Jesus said, if you are my disciple, what they've done to me, they'll do to you. He's talking about persecution. And what do we put our energies into? Don't work for food that spoils. I had a niece who worked for the ANZ Bank. 
went to work for them straight after university. They put her in charge of managing loans to big companies, millions of dollar loans. Now the pay was good. Some days she would go home at two half past two in the morning. Now is it worth that? Is that sort of salary worth that type of energy and sacrifice? You'd be back at work the next morning by 7.30. Now Jesus says don't work for food that spoils. In other words, whatever you put your energies into, will it count for eternity? Will make no difference. Because we can put our energies into working for stuff that's not going to outlast this life. So you and I have to ask that. Ask that question. Because the Bible tells us that what we do, what we have done, is going to be tested. The quality of what we've done in our lives. So it talks about in in Corinthians, building on the foundation of Christ... If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver and costly stones, wood, hail, stubble, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Do you realise that? That one day all that you've done is going to be put into a furnace. And it's going to show up what type of work you've done. And for some people, it's just going to be like straw. It's going to woof, and it's gone. Now they're going to get to heaven okay, the passage says. But there's nothing to show for eternity for their life on earth. It's been a waste of time in terms of eternity. And that's a massive challenge. What are you doing this week that's going to outlast your life? Well, Jesus continues, or the passage does. So these folk are thinking just purely material things, and they said, what must we do to the works that God requires? Now, Jesus says, okay, the work that God wants is to believe in the one that he has sent. But then he goes on to say, they just want a sign to prove this. And he's just fed 10,000 plus people. What else can he do? They've seen him heal people. They said, no, 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 give us another sign. And Jesus said, the only sign God's going to give you is the bread that's come down from heaven. He said, Moses gave you bread when you were in the desert, your fathers. Actually, it was God who gave that. But I'm the true bread that's come down from heaven. And they want that to be an everlasting supply. But then Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. As I have told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. See, this passage is about belief. Do you believe Jesus? 
Now, Jesus is going to talk about the fact of needing to eat. And he's meaning devour, consume. So how can I consume these words? Now, Catherine and I had a habit at one stage that every meal time, and we had meals together three times a day, we'd actually read a psalm or a part of a psalm. Now, it doesn't take long, but it means as a family you have to eat together if you're going to do that as a family. So apart from physical food, there's input from God as well. And you know, the thing that we got the most benefit from was from reading together, not from eating together. That proved to be the most blessing, particularly in some crises that we had to face. So Jesus continues, they're grumbling, they're upset. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I'll raise them up in the last day. At this the Jews begin to grumble about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. See, they think they know his parentage. They think they know where he's from. And that's all they can focus on, despite what he has been doing in front of them. So Jesus repeats, Verily I tell you the truth, the one who believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And the bread which is my flesh I will give for the life of the world. You know, it doesn't matter if you eat McDonald's or Domino's or Dairy Bell ice cream or go to the pie hut. It's not going to stop you dying. In fact, it might make you die quicker. But you know, there's something that's going to outlast our physical lives, and that's what Jesus is offering. Now, a lot of people are confused by these next verses. Jesus said to them, Very, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. They are nonplussed by this. Because cannibalism was abhorrent to non-Jews and taboo for Jews. They're not meant to eat human flesh. And so they are stumped by this. They just think, how can Jesus say this? Because all they can think of is literal eating and drinking. But Jesus is using a metaphor, a figure of speech, to say that unless you devour me, internalize me, my words, you're not going to have any life. Unless you believe in me, you will have no life in you. So Jesus is talking about what's going to happen at Easter time, the first Easter. The flesh he was going to give, he said, was his body. He gave that on the cross. He gave himself for us. 
John wrote, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not for only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. So we're going to feed this week. Now, some of the guys are welcome to come to Chapter 2 on Wednesday morning, 7 o'clock, and we can share breakfast together. And we can talk about stuff like this. If you want to know what I have, I'll have butter mushrooms, please, and a cappuccino. (coughs) But Jesus is talking about feeding on him and living. So while I've been thinking about this during the week, I thought, am I really alive? Or am I starved? Am I anorexic? Because I'm not having this food. I'm on a starvation diet. Am I one of these people who maybe cracked the Bible once a month? We had people in a small group, and they were never part of this church, but what they used to say to us, we used to meet every, Thursday, every second Thursday, once a fortnight. And one of those persons says, Keith, I leave my Bible in the glove box so I know where to find it on Sunday. Now, he was honest. And I used to ask them to do things between the times that we met. And a few years down the track, this same person became a leader of a small group. And he said to me, Keith, he says, I'm frustrated these people will not crack their Bible between studies. I said, really? I said, I happen to remember a fellow like that. He kept his Bible in the glove box. And he said to me, what we're going to do, we're going to do when we meet for study. Forget about anything else. So he was on a fortnightly diet that lasted for about two hours. Now, he changed. He changed his diet. So Jesus says, the person who feeds on me will live because of me. (coughs) Are we feeding on him? Scripture says it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you are here who do not believe. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and followed him no longer. Now, maybe you think it's too tough to be a follower of Jesus. Well, you can join 10,000 plus people who did that day. They turned their back on Jesus because of these words and thought, "Uh uh-uh, this is just too hard. I'm opting out. It's not for me. It's not for us. And so he turns to the disciples and said, do you want to leave also? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, I don't know what you think is the most satisfying thing that you can do during the week or a weekend. Maybe you think you live for clubbing at the weekend or bids drinking or whatever. We visited a home the other day and the folk who were teenagers exited the house about 11 a.m., I mean 11 p.m., and they said they were going to go somewhere else at 2 a.m. in the morning and then to another place before they would come home. Now that to them was living. 
they lived for those weekends. And they chose what they wanted to do because of the messages they'd get on their phone. Because there was a range of options. And so what do you choose? Interesting. But you know, what happened last weekend and the enjoyment of that didn't carry over to this weekend. It was empty and left them dissatisfied and restless. It didn't really feed them in the way that they thought or wanted or expected. Jesus says, I am the bread from heaven. Go get your ingredients. I am the bread of life. So your Bible fuel tank this week, is it running on empty? Nothing there. Or are you going to work for what's only going to last for this life? For food that perishes. It won't satisfy your soul. It won't satisfy you. It won't give you what you really long for. Lady Macquarie was right. This colony, this nation, needs the Bible. That's what will change it. Why? Because it's a living book. You might think that what Jesus is saying, that's tough. I don't want to just live my life devouring the person and work of the Lord Jesus and allowing that to make me, mould me, control me, determine who I am. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go away. Well, Peter was true. Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. So do-it-yourself Bible diet. What are you going to do with that? How can you make it a practice? Now, on your phones, if you go to the right app, you can actually have a verse that will come up every day for you. And you can read that and think about that for the rest of the day. Now, okay, it's a small bite. Andrew talked about, you know, only enough for one person to have a bite each. Each person to have a bite each. But it's a bite. And you can start there. Not too hard, not too complicated. And you'll know how to do it on your phone. And you can start that so that every day you've got a verse. So is that going to be too much, too hard, too difficult? Just to take a snippet, a verse, each day and reflect on that. We got a newsletter from friends the other day and this is what it says. Bread here is a big deal. There is bread as a side or maybe the centre would be a better word at every meal. If a piece of bread drops on the floor, people quickly pick it up brush it off, kiss it, before returning it to the table or the bread bowl. When guests come unexpectedly, there isn't enough bread left to go around. Someone is very quickly sent to the neighbour's house to ask for some. That bread is then paid back as soon as new bread is baked. That's where these folk live at present, in one of the stand countries. 
Now imagine if that was changed to Bible verses, Bible intake. Make a big difference in that society. Let's pray as the music team comes up. Father, we thank you today for the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. He is the one that can sustain us, feed us, give us the inner enjoyment that we long for, that we want, that we need. So we will just pray that you might bless your word to us this day. This we ask in his name. Amen.